Praise the Lord. Wonderful thought. Wonderful Savior. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 1 this morning, if you're finding that. You know, I've thought several times during the singing today how that, you know, Christ is to be preeminent in our worship. But the text we're going to look at tells us he's to be preeminent in all things. You know, it's, it's, hard, it's impossible to measure, but it's, it's, it's not only impossible to measure, it's impossible to articulate um, what the cross means. There's, if we if we get to take all the acts of benevolence, all the philanthropy, all the charitable deeds, all the all the important relationships of all time, and put them all together, they wouldn't even begin to measure what happened on the cross that day, as God Himself became sin for us, that we could be made the righteousness of God in Him, and. Uh, He's just been magnified in our service today. I'm thankful for that. Colossians chapter 1, we're going to begin reading in verse 15, I think. If you're able to stand, stand with us, please, for the reading of God's Word. I have to tell you, we're kind of jumping into a sentence that's quite a long sentence. Um, it begins, actually, in verse 9 uh, and goes all the way through verse 17. Um, you would not get a, you would not get a pass on that sentence in English class, I promise you. Um, but that's the way it is often in the Bible. It's a powerful portion of Scripture. But I want to take up beginning in verse 15, and the subject is Christ. You know, it's obvious. Just look, glance up a little bit. Verse 13: Who hath who the pronoun speaking of Christ? who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood and even the forgiveness of sin. So there's no doubt who the subject of this sentence is. It's about Christ. But there in verse 15 it says, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him... Referring to Christ, by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him, I say, whether they be things in heaven or things or things in earth or things in heaven. So I just really want to emphasize a particular thought or part or phrase in this lengthy passage, and it's found in verse 18. 
where it says that in all things he might have the preeminence. That's a, that's a powerful statement. It's really, to me, a statement worth thinking about. Not only thinking about what it means historically, but thinking about what it means practically. Now, all, uh, all is a bunch, right? And I, we heard a preacher said many years ago here in this pulpit, uh, there ain't no more than all. All is everything. All is all-inclusive. Nothing is outside of all, right? And in all things, big things, little things, all things, not some things, most things, not the majority of things, all things, that in all things, he might have the preeminence. That's an amazing statement, isn't it? All things. You mean everything? I think that's what that means, everything. <laughs> all things. It's incredible. All things. That in all things. So I want to speak for a little while this morning on this subject, the preeminence of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today, how rich it is. We thank you for the worship we've experienced today to lift our voices and our hearts in praise to you. Already the opportunity to open up the word of God in our 10 o'clock hour and see what you have to say. And so we pray again today that you'd bless us as we get into your word together, open our hearts, our minds. Help me, Lord, to make things simple and understandable. And may your word work in our hearts today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I just began by thinking about this word again, preeminent. What does it mean in verse 18 where it says that in all things he might have the preeminence? Um, a familiar uh, reference, resource, Strong's Concordance says that, that preeminence means to be first in rank or influence. To be first, foremost, before all other things. Thayer's Lexicon, another notable uh, reference book, defines preeminence as to be first or hold the first place. So when you think about Christ being in all things having the preeminence, that means in all things, in all things he would have the first place. He would be superior. He would be above others. In all things he might have the preeminence. Now in this general context I think we see numerous examples of how his preeminence is already is. We don't make him preeminent. He is preeminent. And his preeminence is just absolute. And we see that reference, several references. Look at verse 15. It says, who is, who is, talking about Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God. So the word image there means the likeness, the manifestation, the revelation of God. God is invisible. Jesus came in flesh. He is visible. But he shows us what God is like. He is God and he shows us exactly what God is like. Matter of fact, Jesus said in very clear language in John chapter 14, when Philip was talking to him, he said, He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. If you want to know what God looks like, look at Jesus. Not in the physical form, but in the character and his attributes. He's not just similar to God, he is God. So he is, he, he is the Almighty and, and he, because he's God, he deserves preeminence, most important, first place. 
an interesting word and a, a word that's sometimes I think misunderstood or confused in verse 15 where it says, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. One would, could look at that, and I'm sure probably some cults look at that as a proof text for how that Jesus was born because it says here that he is the firstborn, but that firstborn is not about chronological order. It's about a position of prominence. You know, in the cultures of the Bible, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament times, whoever was the firstborn had, had the position of, of prominence, the position of authority. And so Jesus, had, we know Jesus was not created, so it doesn't, when it says firstborn, it doesn't mean that he was created, he was born. It means that he has the first in ranking of all things. He is the firstborn. No one else takes precedent over him. Verse 16, it says that he created everything. We're talking about his superiority, his preeminence. Verse 16, for by him were all things created. He created everything. He is the creator. He's not created, he's the creator. And all things were created for him and by him, the Bible says. Look in verse 7, he's before all things and by him all things consist. And again in verse 16, he made everything that's made in heaven and in earth, visible and invisible, thrones, dominions, the spirit world, principalities, powers, all things were created by him and for him. So he, he is preeminent. He's the creator of everything. A verse that comes to my mind when I read that is Revelation chapter 4, where in heaven they're saying, For thou hast created all things and and for thy pleasure they are and were created. He made all things and everything was made for him. My wife and I were in Kansas City for a few days um, this past week and celebrating the fact that she put up with me for another year. It's worthy of celebrating. Um, and we went to, to an aquarium, this giant aquarium. You, I know many of you have been to those aquariums. They're just massive. It's just large you walk under the aquarium, all these fish, sharks, and things are above you. And, and anyway, just we spent an hour and a half in there just looking at fish. Not fried fish, not baked fish, just living fish. All kinds of fish, colorful fish, weird-looking fish, wish, fish with long snouts, and, and fish of brilliant colors. And you can't help but look at all that and realize that God made every one of those. Jesus made everything that is. Everything that exists, he made that. He created it. He spoke it into existence. He not only did he create it, but they were made for him. Everything was made for him. You, you know, when you and I read the passages in Scripture where it talks about how the, the seas and the waters and the, and the trees worship him and exalt him and I don't understand all that but I know it's true because he made it all for himself that's that's he deserves preeminence because he made everything and in verse 17 again it says he is before all things and by him all things exist consist not only did he make everything he sustains everything he holds it all together he keeps it going Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3 says he holds all things together by the word of his power. He holds everything together. 
by the word. You know, the, the mystery of the atom and the mystery of gravity. People wonder about how these things work. How do, how do these things, I'll tell you how it may, God makes it work. There's an element of truth and faith in that. He, he cons, everything consists by him. Verse 18, he's the head of the church. He's the head of the body, the church. And he, so he's the head. He made everything. Everything is made for him. He's the head of the church. Verse 18 also says that, um, or in verse 19, it pleased the Father that in him all fullness should dwell. That all of, it's, it's said a different way in Colossians chapter 2. Let's look at that quickly in verse 9. Just right across the page in my Bible. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That's an amazing statement, isn't it? That God put all the fullness of himself, the Godhead, in Jesus bodily. And as God, he deserves this preeminence in verse 18. That in all things he might have the preeminence. So Jesus already is first. We don't have to make him first in order for him to be first. He doesn't have to be first in your life for him to be first. He is the first. Historically he is first. Theologically he is first. Positionally he is first. He is preeminent. And as God, he holds that place of superiority over everything else that is. He says he is, he's over everything. I mean, he is, he is actually over everything. I, I was noticing these examples here, or, or should say uses of the phrase all things. Look at, just look at our text, if you would, please. Verse 16, for by him were all things created. In verse 16, uh, verse, last part of verse 16, all things were created by him and for him. In verse 17, he is before all things. Notice all things. All things created, all things made by him, all things made for him, all things, he's before all things, he precedes all things. By him, verse 17, all things consist. Verse 18, in all things he might have the preeminence. In verse 20, to reconcile all things unto himself. Everything, everything is about Jesus. Everything is about him. Everything is for him. He made everything. He is everywhere. He deserves preeminence. So his preeminence is absolute. But the text that we want to focus on in verse 18 says that in all things he might have the preeminence, which, which implies, which includes our lives. I mean... Don't take offense that you're a thing, but if in all things he used to have preeminence, that means he's had preeminence in our life. He's had the first place in our life. I think we would all agree that we've heard testimony or we've seen lived out folks that, whether they verbalize it or whether they actually live it out, that Jesus, Jesus has a little part of their life and they got a whole lot of other stuff in their life that he's not really included in, but that's not the way it's supposed to be. He wants preeminence in our life. He wants to be preeminent in all things. So if Jesus is, is to have preeminence, according to verse 18, if he's to have preeminence in all things, that means he's to have the preeminence in my life. And not just in my life, but in all things in my life. In all things in my life. 
He's to have the preeminence. Now that's truth. That's a doctrinal theological reality. But it's another thing to make it a practical reality in our life. And that's one of the challenges of the Christian life. First of all, there's a challenge in knowing what God expects. The other part of the challenge, which is even more challenging and more difficult, and that's fleshing it out in our own life. But I have no doubt today, I have no question, I have no hesitancy to say that Jesus Christ deserves the preeminence, the first place in our life and in all parts of our life. That's a challenge, isn't it? I'll say it is. All of our relationships, our conversations, our involvements, our activities, our leisure time, that, that he wants to be first in everything. And, and, and just so we go back, go back over again, he deserves to be first in everything. Amen? He deserves to be first. You know, it's one thing to think about. It says he's over principalities. It's one thing for me to think about him being first in heaven. I think everything in heaven obeys his commands. I think every angel and angelic beings, if, if angels disobeyed him and there was an uprising in Lucifer's day, they were cast out of heaven because in the heavenly world, everything obeys every jot, every tittle, every desire, every inclination of Jesus is completely obeyed. I believe that. I believe in heaven, when we're in heaven, everything we do, every word we say, every thought we have, every step we take, everything we do will be in a complete agreement with what Jesus wants from us. I believe that. Don't you? That's, what, that's his goal for us, that in all things he have the preeminence. But it's another thing to make that happen in our daily life, to learn to... Put that to practice. That's a challenge. For, I believe for any honest believer, that's a challenge. Every day, I'm confident, I know, that every day of my life, there are things that I either am challenged to make him first of everything, or I even overlook the, the importance of making him first in everything. So, I, so by the way, nobody ever said... Nobody ever said the Christian life was going to be automatic, was going to be easy. Nobody ever said that. Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to, every day, you're going to have to die. Right? That's what Jesus said. Every single day, you're going to have to die to your own inclinations, die to self. So the question is, how do, how do we make him preeminent? How do we make him prominent in our, in our homes, at work? in our other relationships, at church. This is a position that Jesus holds. He, it exists, and he wants it to work out in our life. Well, let's just think about that together for a few minutes. First of all, it begins at salvation. That's where it starts. Look at what it says in verse 20. And having made peace through the blood of his cross. Just think about that. He made, he made peace, peace with us through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him I say whether it be things in earth or things in heaven. 
and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. What a miracle salvation is. We were in darkness. He took us out of darkness. He reconciled us in the body of his flesh. So through his blood, he made reconciliation possible for all things. Look at that. To reconcile all things unto himself. This is, this is a very simple, basic truth that we all need to appreciate. And that is this. As we heard about it in Sunday school this morning. That outside of regeneration, outside of salvation, we're lost. We're separated from God. There is a, listen young person, there is a separation between you and God because you are a sinner. It's, it's separate. God is holy. God is so holy. Altogether holy. He cannot look at sin. I cannot fellowship with God. I'm separated with God in my lost condition. And yet on the cross, Jesus paid for all of my sins that I could be reconciled to God. That I could be brought into relationship with God. That I could be redeemed. And, and so this whole thing about preeminence begins in salvation. You don't have to make him preeminent of every area of your life to be saved but when you get saved he comes to live within you as the Lord and master of your life and so the question is you know are you saved have you been born again is this great salvation a reality in your life don't I'm not the example of this don't 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 think I'm the perfect example I'm not but I know for me, every day of my life, my salvation is precious to me. Just standing here today singing and thinking about the cross and what Christ has done for us. It's an, it's an, it's an onward, ongoing, continual appreciation for the grace of God. It's not like, oh yeah, I prayed that prayer when I was a kid, but I'm not really that interested in it now. That's not regeneration. That's not salvation. Salvation is a change in your life, and, and it's such a change. It makes you appreciate the grace of God in your life. Not once, but forever we appreciate the grace of God. What are we going to do in heaven? We're going to thank Him and praise Him that we're there, not for anything good we did, but because of what He did on the cross for us. It all begins at salvation. Is that a reality in your life? He wants you to be saved. He died that you could be reconciled to him, that you could be forgiven. And his being preeminent in our life begins at that moment when we come into a relationship with God. Because everything changed. Old things are passed away. All things become new. Before we were saved, everything was about us. Everything was about us. I never, ever once remember ever thinking as an older teenager, a young adult, I never once, ever once thought about what would God want to, me to do here. Because I was lost. I was separated from God. But once he moves in, he changes. You appreciate what he's done for you. And you want to thank him and serve him and worship him because of what he's done for you. So it begins at salvation, but it doesn't end there. It doesn't end there. He wants to be preeminent in all things. 
That's what, his, that's what his word declares. I mean, if we could just find a verse, maybe I would change my mind. If you could just find a verse that says, once you get saved, Jesus wants to be preeminent in 30% of your life. Or maybe 75% of your life. I've not, I've not read that in here. I read, I read it's all things. Everything, everything ought to go through a filter of, Lord, I want you to be first in this. I want you to be first in this area of my life. He, he wants first place. That's a biblical standard. Listen, that's not my standard. It's a Bible standard. For all believers, it's not an exaggerated view. It's not an extreme view. You say, that's just an extreme view. No, it's just a Bible view. I can't get anything out of all things but all things. The Bible says, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all, do all. Do all for the glory of God, right? All, A-double-L, that's a lot, isn't it? He should be first in all things. We, we say this a lot. You know, one, I think one of the, I was thinking about this this morning, one of the most quoted verses of scripture uh, is Proverbs chapter three, five, and six, where it says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. By the way, it's all thine heart. And then, and it says this. Here's the statement I want to get to. It's in that passage in verses 5 and 6 of Proverbs 3. In all thy ways acknowledge him. All. Acknowledge him. In your academic world, students, in all your ways acknowledge him. By the way, some of you need a lot of outside help. In all thy ways acknowledge him. In your friendships, in all thy ways. In your entertainment, in all thy ways. In your job life, in all thy ways. See, that's, that's the standard. That's God's standard. In all thy ways, acknowledge him. In all thy ways, recognize him. In all thy ways, think about him. In all thy ways, seek him. That's preeminence. Another passage in Isaiah, it says, Thou shalt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. But think about this, whose mind is stayed on thee. That's what you think about. We heard about our thought life this morning. I can really relate to the challenge of trying to keep our thinking straight. Sometimes we have stinking thinking. In all thy ways acknowledge him. Think about that. My mind is stayed on him. How about when Paul wrote the Corinthians and said, bringing every thought unto captivity, every thought. Aren't you glad for the Bible? The Bible challenges me. I don't, you can't look, don't look at that and say that's impossible. No, say if that's what God says, I want to be working to make this work out and happen in my life. Mind stayed on him is preeminence. Every thought captive is preeminence. It means he's first in everything. It, it begins at conversion, but, it's, but it doesn't end there. This is what, listen, this is what happens when a person, maybe they're really saved, but they don't have a meaningful devotion in life. They don't read their Bible every day. They don't have time where they just sh shut down everything that they can talk to God and fellowship with God and listen for God to speak to them through the word of God because this is maintained and and, and put to practice in our life, honestly evaluating ourselves. I think church time should be a time of worship. It ought to be a time of 
fellowship. It ought to be a time of thanksgiving. It ought to be a time of learning. But it ought to be a time of examination where the Word of God is challenging us to think about our life in the way we make decisions. But we don't just do that on Sundays and Wednesdays. We ought to always be in a state of, Lord, show me where I'm wrong. Help me see. That's what the psalmist prayed in Psalm 131. If there be any wicked way in me, if there's anything not right, you know why we do that? Because he wants to have the preeminence in everything. You know what people do? I don't hope no one here does that, but this is what sometimes they set the bar for what they're going to be by somebody else. Well, they live this way. They talk this way. They behave that way. That's not the bar. The bar we set is the word of God. And he wants to have part in everything. That's why we fear God. It's a good thing to fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Why? Because we want him to be preeminent. In all things, in all times, in all places, he has had preeminence. And I want to say to you, based on my personal experience with me, many things in life combat this. Many things. The attractions and distractions of the world, they combat this. They work against this. Our fleshly tendencies, our fleshly lust, our pride, we want the right to make our decisions. We want to make the right decision where we get to go. We want to make the decision how we, we the, this is not what it's, it's not about us. It's about him. I think one of the things that hurts us as believers and hurts the work is when too many believers are just going through some kind of religious motions or checking boxes. It's not just about checking boxes. It's trying to have him be first in everything we do. How could we make a decision about changing a job or moving here without consulting him? He's to have the preeminence in everything. It demands deliberate, diligent attention. But there's so many things that distract us. I want to make three current, relevant applications of this and I won't spend long on this but I think I just want to uh, illustrate it one is the cold COVID experience you can't go anywhere without COVID coming into the conversation the sicknesses serious sicknesses losses controversies mandates fears fear Restrictions, lifestyle changes, interruptions, cancellations, postponements, uncertainties. I mean, this is, it's been almost two years, over a year and a half of this, right? But you know what? We heard, I think Brother Wagner said this this morning, it's true. I'm reminded that in all things, he's to have the preeminence. In pandemics, he's to have the preeminence. When things don't go our way, he's to have the preeminence. He's still Lord. He's still master. He's still God. He's still on the throne. We can't make it go away. Don't you wish you could make it go away? I can't make it go away. But I don't think we, we can do it. We ought to try to do. And that's to commit to that in all things, he'll have the preeminence. He'll be first. We're going to keep him first in everything. 
Another thing that's not quite as serious, but it's a good time to be reminded, and that has to do with the holiday season. He ought to be preeminent. Now, anybody that knows me know I'm not anti-Christmas. I'm not a Scrooge. But I know one thing. The world shouldn't set the standard for how we celebrate this holiday. Christ ought to be preeminent in it. He ought to have the first place. I, 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 one of the things I love about the season is the, the emphasis on the incarnation, the birth of Christ. It's not, the emphasis is not on a day, it's on an event. And that event is the coming of Jesus Christ. I mean, what more glorious reality that God would come, that heaven, as heaven, we heard in the song this morning, as heaven looks on, that God would come in the form of a child born in the virgin's womb to be a perfect sacrifice, to go to the cross, to suffer for our sins. Isn't that a wonderful, wonderful thing to celebrate? And I think we ought to celebrate it. But don't make it about... Don't, don't let the world, people get so busy in gifts and shopping and running and all this stuff. And I'm not against giving gifts. I'm not against any of that stuff. But that's not really what it's about. It's about, let's make, in all things, he's to have the preeminence. It's a great opportunity to give out the gospel, to share the gospel with people. So in the holiday season, let's make him preeminent. We ought to do that in our church, in our lives, in our testimonies. And then I want to bring up this whole subject about our church looking for a new pastor, a younger version. <laughs> you know what our focus ought to be on? It ought to, and I think it is on this. It ought to be on God and knowing his will. That he would be preeminent. That his will would be our focus. We want his will. I, 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 I can't say this for sure. And uh, I don't want to exaggerate. Um, but there, I think there's only been, I couldn't know this. I don't know if there have been any. I don't know if there's been any day in the last several years I haven't prayed about this subject. Not one day. Most days I've prayed about it many days. Many nights, many nights, scores of nights in the middle of the night praying for God's will to be done. You know why? Because I want what's best for this church. And I'm just saying, in everything, I want him to be preeminent. I want it, I want it to be his will. I want it to be his way. I want it to be his timing. Because he is to be preeminent. And I have fallen so short in my own life of making him first in everything. But they deserve to be first. He wants to be first. And it's, be it's always best for me when he is at the very center of my decision making and my thinking and my actions. His preeminence is absolute and it's eternal but it's to be seen in all things it's to be practical in our all lives I wasn't even thinking about this what I'm about to say till this morning my wife and I were reading our Bibles in the book of Daniel and that great chapter I think it was the fifth chapter where <clears throat> Daniel interpreted the handwriting on the wall. 
Belshazzar was the king after Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the Babylonians, and he saw this handwriting on the wall, and um, they couldn't find anybody to interpret it, so Daniel interpreted it to Belshazzar and said, your reign is over. The Babylonian Empire, the reign of Belshazzar has come to an end, and it did that night. It came to an end. And Darius, the Median of the Medes and Persians, Darius took the kingdom. And the princes and the leaders in the new kingdom went to Darius and convinced King Darius to make a decree that if anybody prays to any god in the next 30 days other than you, they're going to be cast into a den of lions. And what did Daniel do? Three times a day, as was his custom, he opened the windows. Not that his prayer needed to get out to go up, but he opened the windows and he prayed. And they cast him into that lion's den. And God sent an angel to shut the mouths of the lions and he was delivered. The point is this. When I was reading that, I thought Daniel is a good example of how God always, in all situations, in all places, at all times, deserved to have the preeminence. First in everything. Aren't you glad he did that? What a lesson. So today, if you're here today and you're not saved, can't imagine what would keep you from coming to Christ putting your faith in him he didn't have to go to the cross he went to the cross because he wanted to he loved us he loves us he died for you he didn't die to make us religious he died to make us more like himself to cleanse us to wash us to convert us to regenerate us to make us new creatures and the good news of the gospel is that we can be saved, that we can be forgiven. But the end of the story is, it's not just so we can go to heaven when we die, it's so we can be like him. That's what God wants. He wants us to be like him. If you're not saved, you need him. Young person or adult, if you're not saved, you, need, you ought to come to Christ today. He died that you could be reconciled to him. And I'm going to be standing right down here in a moment. If you want somebody to talk to about it or pray with, I'll be here. We could do that. I wish you'd. If you're here tonight, today, and you're not saved, you're not sure you're saved, you ought to come. And then for those of us who are saved, let's be honest. Let's be honest enough to say in our own heart, I need to continually work on this. That in all things, he would have the preeminence. All things. It's a daily discipline. It's a yielding to him, a surrendering to him. It's believing that it's not only possible, but it's God's will. That in all things, he made everything. 
He made everything out of nothing. He made everything for himself. He holds everything together. He is over everything. And he wants to be over everything in your life, in my life. This would be a good time to just say, Lord, I want you to be preeminent in my life. Help me to learn to do this. Help me to work on this. Let's pray together, all right? Our Father, we thank you today for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the Spirit of God that helps us to read and understand and apply the Word of God. Lord, we fall so short. I fall so short in so many ways. But I know your will for all of us is that in all things, Christ would have the preeminence. Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for going to the cross. Thank you, Father, for sending your Son. Thank you for all that you endured because of your great love for us. Thank you for salvation. It's the free gift of eternal life that can be received by any. And thank you for your desire to work in us that which is pleasing in your sight. While our heads are bowed.